Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host with the most, as always, Adela Marcy. I keep telling you guys, season five, we just keep kicking ass and taking names. And we have one more legend that comes on this year. And yeah, I think we're going to have a rivalry from last year's podcast of the Legends Tour. But hey, I'm glad that you're here. Our guest today is none other than Roland Frazier, who is a man that I've followed for the last five, six years, I guess. Uh, and I have been envious of every step of the way because I'm like, damn it, I want his brain, essentially is what it is. So, Roland, welcome to the show, and I'm glad that you're here. Thank you. It's great to be here. Oh, I know I didn't do any of your accolades because there are so many, but I will give everyone a quick rundown. Roland, and please correct me and please add in more. Roland is on the board of advice. Are you on the board of advisors for uh, Digital Marketer? Or like, I know you do something with Digital Marketer, like you're there with them. I am one of the owners. Yes. You're one of the and, owners of Digital Marketer. And, and the director. And then I, I basically handle our M&A, our mergers and acquisitions, and our events like Traffic and Conversion Summit, which is now its own company. And then I run our War Room Mastermind. Yep. So a lot of badass things. On top of that, you have your own podcast and you also run your own business, which is incredible because how do you do so many amazing things at once? Uh, and we're going to dive into that. But real quick shout out to our sponsors today for this episode. We are This episode is sponsored by digitalmarketer.com, um, rolandfraser.com. That's F-R-A, yeah, F-R-A-S-I-E-R.com. So Roland, R-O-L-A-N-D. You'll see the links in the description as always. We're also sponsored by trafficandconversionssummit.com and Roland's podcast, Business Lunch, which I recommend if you're truly serious about business, you go check it out because it is, it's brilliant. I, I, love the, I love how he does everything. You have to realize how obsessed I can be with this man at times. I had to take a break away from looking at your Facebook feed, by the way, at one point. You do know that. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> then I'm doing my job. <laughs> I was like, too much, not enough time for application. <laughs> Brain must melt. Go back and read notes. Um, the, right. other, the other link that we're actually sponsored by for the show, as always, is adulamarcy.com. Uh, go there, listen to our previous episodes with previous guests as well, um, and just absorb the information, reach out to them, and go to the links that we actually share because there's some great stuff that we actually cover. Now, that being said, my first question for you, Roland, uh, isn't really a question, it's a thank you. Because I was writing a letter for Jay Abraham, and I had to come up with a hook for one of his courses, and I couldn't really think what would be the big valuation? Like how do we, it, it was uh, kind of easy to launch this. I can't really speak about it so much, but like Jay had this course that he'd done about um, growing a company. And I think you said, was it you? I think someone told me it was you. Or I read it was you. Something along the lines of by having a continuity program, you immediately increase the value of your company when you go to sell it. Correct. Uh, that was me. Right. So my question is, how did you, how did you find this out? Like to what degree and how does it all work? Like, why is it that when you actually have a continuity program or a membership program, it does increase the value of uh, your company? Sure. Uh, well, first I want to say Jay is awesome. We, uh, had the good fortune of having, uh, wine and an amazing cheese tray that his wife, Christy prepared, uh, a couple days ago when we interviewed him for, for our podcast as well. We, he's his house right there on the sand now has, uh, has cost me, a house on the sand because my wife uh, is just obsessed with it. She's like, that, that's amazing. So uh, so now, Jay, I hate you. I'm just telling you uh, in, a, in a loving way. <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, so the, here, here's how it happened is we were talking to growth capital funds uh, back in 2013, 2014 
for Digital Marketer. And one of the firms, Spectrum Equity, came down. Spectrum had helped, uh, had made an investment in lynda.com, which they ultimately helped sell to LinkedIn for a little over a billion dollars and uh, several other companies. And so we were talking with Spectrum, who had reached out to us and said, you know, maybe, maybe Digital Marketer would be a good investment. And at the time, we were selling courses a la carte. So we sold $495 courses and $1,000 certifications. And we're selling, you know, quite a few of them. And we had one part of our business that was subscription, uh, Digital Marketer Labs, which was a $49 a month subscription program that gave people access to a whole bunch of stuff. And they said, here's how we value your company. Everything that is, uh, that is recurring on a subscription, and at the time we had about 600000 a month, I think, in, uh, in recurring on Digital Marketer Lab, they said, we'll give you a valuation of 5x on that. So five times your recurring revenue. So 600,000 a month times 12 is what? 7.2 million times five is 35 million. What? Uh, 45 million ish, something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. anyway, so they said that's the valuation on that part of the business, but on the rest of the business, we're going to give you a one times because that's not recurring. And the reason that they do that is that recurring revenue reduces risk and valuation is all about the reduction of risk. So if you have money that you don't have to go out and get again and again and again, every single time you have to resell, resell, resell to get that money, then that is, there's much lower risk. And particularly when the churn, the amount of people who are leaving the continuity program is low, then it's very, very interesting to investors and it's very safe. So that, that makes, you know, to me, that makes logical sense. For the rest of it, you wait, wait, sell wait, wait. it. Hold on, Roland, real quick. Um, your microphone's getting really muted. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Oh, there you Can are. You yeah, hear me you're, okay? yeah, you're perfect now. Um, yeah, so please continue on. Sorry, I just wanted to say that because I was like, I don't want anyone to send me a message going, he muffled and he kept going. Oh, yeah, no. Thank you for letting me know. So the, the did you get all that? Was that okay? Yeah, I got the I got up to the bit where you, like, just before I cut you off. We got okay, that, great. and I was like, it's going more and more muffled at this point, so I need to actually pull them back. No worries. So uh, so that's the recurring revenue. So lower risk uh, makes sense, higher valuation. For the rest of the money, you have to go out and, and find it again and again and again. So you know maybe the same customer will buy it, but maybe they won't. And so if there's a product that a customer will have a continuing need for, that also reduces the risk of uh, future revenue coming in to the investor. And so... It's uh, so they give you a higher valuation for it. So that's that's really when that came to light. And so we said, well, heck, we would like to have more of the uh, recurring revenue that gets us a five times multiple than the non-recurring revenue that gets us a one times multiple because it's you know if we do the math that's almost five times better. So uh, so that was what we did. We just set about re-engineering the business to be as much about recurring revenue as possible, and then. Uh, did that in our other businesses, talked to our War Room Mastermind members about doing it in theirs, and now we're seeing the fruits of that labor in terms of businesses that we are selling and um, and the other folks that are that are in our mastermind are now selling and they're they're getting significantly higher valuations because of making that move. Okay, see now this basically throws my entire questioning process out of whack because now I just have like a bunch of other questions to ask. Specifically, Perfect. it's kinda like for a business like um so yeah, screw it. We've already like admitted this on the Joe and uh, Matt podcast. The only reason I really love doing these is because A, everyone gets to listen in on these great conversations, but B, I get to ask all the questions I want to ask and get them answered. So I'm going to go ahead and do that and take advantage all of right. as I can. 
Um, so right. for a company like, for, for me personally, I'm a copywriter. I have been since I was 12. I have like a ridiculous like track record for the last tw nearly 12 years since I went 18. I went pro. I have an insane track record. The only problem is I'm, if you're a copywriter mm -hmm. and you come in contact with me, you know exactly who I am and what I do. Whereas if you're a lay person that really is in the marketing industry, you don't really know me all that well. My question therein lies, if I was to start a continuity business for whatever it was, say for instance, it was to teach advertising, how I basically got like well over half a billion in sales for my clients, including turning a company around from like 5 million, they were doing only 20% profit uh, to way up. So I think they were, doing, they were doing 1 million profit and they were making 5 million in sales every month. And we turned that to 15 million in sales and 10, 10 million in profit every single month. So they increased their revenues and also their... Uh, they triple their revenues in uh, 10 times their profit margin. So something like that, How? what would be the best possible way for me to actually create a continuity business? And I say that as someone that has been asked by other copywriters and other people, what's a great continuity business we can go into? And my answer's always been, I really don't know because it's not something I really delve into. Right. So, so what's the question exactly? Question exactly would be, is if you're in a service-based business, how would you create a continuity program off of that that leverages... Uh, your time and your effort. Sure. So one is I'm absolutely passionately in love with service-based businesses, but they're, they're tough businesses to grow because they're really hard to scale. So, um, so that's, that's the first thing I would say is I would, I would look at first, do you need to be in a service-based business? And then I would say, okay, so if you're a copywriter, then you're adding tremendous value to the businesses. As, as you said, you've got all these home runs and everything. So I would look at uh, I would look at getting involved in businesses that were continuity-based businesses to provide those amazing services that you provide. I am a good investor. I'm a good business strategist. Um, I'm not sure how to turn that into a continuity income. But what I can do is I can go and provide the services that I am good at to companies like Digital Marketer or Big Block Realty or you know all the other companies that, that I am a part of um, by going into companies and helping them develop recurring revenue streams. So I would look at who are you writing the copy for? What are the businesses that you're providing the service for? And can you help those businesses move to a continuity-based model? You are creating offers. You are creating the copy. So you have the ability to craft an offer that is a continuity-based offer. So that that's what I would do if I was you in the in the copywriting kind of business. Does that make sense? Entirely. So if I just get this straight, it's more or less find, for, find a business that already can be scaled towards continuity, add my contribution to them, and then take a percentage of that monthly revenue that already comes in anyway. Yep. Yeah, well, and I'd rather, rather than a percentage, I'd rather have equity because revenue is, a, is an income asset, which is nice, but, but equity is a wealth asset, which sells at a multiple. So you, and you, there's a thousand ways to do that. But just so that the people that are listening and you can think about how, how does this work, right? You, you could say, well, my company is a clothing company. You can't, you can't turn that into a, into a uh, recurring revenue business. But Rent the Runway absolutely turned it into. You can say, I sell cell phones, but I can't do that. But Apple sells now a monthly cell phone plan that includes replacement. You can say, I sell cars, and I can't do that. But Cadillac now sells cars, and so does Porsche in Atlanta, on a continuity basis. So for us at Digital Marketer, we sold courses. You say, well, you can't sell courses on a continuity basis, but you can. You can create a palette of courses, a menu of courses like we did. We created eight core courses to what we said were these were the eight things that 
every digital marketer needs to be able to have to be a successful digital marketer. And we said, rather than selling those courses one off, we'll just give a subscription that allows people to have access to all of them for one low monthly fee. Um, they pay for it monthly and they have access to the courses and the updates. They stay subscribed. Um, we did that with a, um, with a program that had, um, photography courses and, uh, same thing. You just take all the courses and crash them down into one monthly subscription fee. And, um, and the, one of the guys that's in war room that had that business in the process of selling for a great multiple to a private equity company right now. So there's, there's really only a limit to to your, the, your ability to turn any business into a monthly recurring revenue business is only limited by your creativity. If you've got a service though, like, like you have, or let's say, um, you know, that you're, you're building funnels or something like that, then, then to me, one of the biggest opportunities would be to go into another business and say, listen, I'll come in and I will help you structure, uh, your business so that it can be recurring revenue. And I want a piece of the business in exchange for doing that because I'm going to help you increase the value in addition to increasing sales and profits. Okay, cool. So that's actually, well, insanely helpful and very, very powerful. Wow. See, this is why I'm glad I asked that question because now I have like almost stuff that I need to do. Um, and a question <laughs> I do want to ask off the back end of that, because there are a couple of businesses I can already think of, that I can already add that value to. Perfect. So, with businesses like, um, say, for instance, sticking onto the service-based business, and this is something I do want to get your opinion on. So someone like, uh, let's just say it's a funnel build or whatever it is, they could actually still build something where they have a, th there's two ways they can build continuity on that. And I'd love to get your perspective on this. So the first way they can build a continuity is by having a Rolodex of customers that they have and say, hey, listen, you pay me a monthly fee for me to do the services I have, and you give me a small equity in your companies based on what I do. That's one way. The second is they can actually create a, and I don't like using this term uh, as much because I think it's just been overly used, but it's like a monthly newsletter or a monthly uh, membership. They actually give access to their, um, to their audience. So for instance, I'll give you an idea with my friend Rory. Uh, I told him what he could do. I also think I told Matt and Joe this as well, is what they could do is uh, every single month, people can, get, can pay them to get access to the recordings they have with their teams. So for instance, if you have four team meetings, meetings every month where you discuss, you don't really go into ad accounts themselves, but you actually do the training with your team. You can give access to those uh, of those trainings to your audience, essentially, for a monthly fee. Now, Correct. would that be something that you'd say would be a feasible idea to actually run with or something they should just not really look at? Oh, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's wonderful. If you think about digital marketer, digital marketer really came about as a result of our non-educational businesses. We were creating trainings for our people to know internally how to run and do the things that we wanted to do, how to take the experiments that we were running and codify them in, you know, past tribal knowledge into something that was documented that new people who came in could use. And then other people said, you know, Hey, could I have that stuff available to me? And we said, sure. And we created digital marketers so that we could sell that. So it's that absolutely uh, is a fantastic subscription model. That's brilliant. And I, Thank you, because now that just validates the thing I have to launch this year. Yes. <laughs> I like it. Because nice. um, one of the domains I actually own is the Copywriters Room, which is also the name of one of my courses. Um, mm -hmm. But what I'm thinking of throwing in there is just more or less like I will be reviewing people's copy like every single like month. And we release the videos of the breakdowns of what we do. And it's just like, hey, submit your copy. We'll review it. We'll tell you how to increase it. And these are the little insider tricks that we basically pick up and re refer back. So by the time this interview airs, people... 
you'll be able to get access to that because Roland made me do it. He's not really making me do it, but I'm just going to say it's Roland's fault. <laughs> Fantastic. I like it. We can always get away with that. Now, something I really am curious about is how did you actually even begin in business? How did you start your origin? Because that's something I really don't know about you is your origin story. Sure. Uh, I, I was, I have always been entrepreneurial. So when, um, when I was 18, I, I, I found, uh, uh, a book. My father was always looking at different ways. He was a, he was, and still is a tax attorney, uh, and was always looking at different ways. He was very entrepreneurial and creative. And, um, he would share his books with me. And one of the books he shared with me was Robert Allen's nothing down real estate book. And I just was, I got enamored with that and said, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. You can buy real property for nothing down. And I started running the numbers and, uh, writing on a yellow legal pad, all the different, you know, well, if you can do this and that, then wow, you can build some serious wealth. So when I was 18, I got my real estate license and started selling real estate. And, um, I quickly realized that if I wanted to be successful at that, at at the level that I wanted to be, I wouldn't, I wasn't going to be able to do it going out and getting onesie twosie listings. So I looked for a center of influence that would allow me to get a whole bunch of listings at the same time. And to do that, I, I started approaching real estate developers because they had many houses that they needed to sell instead of just one. And also they would be recurring clients for me. Um, so I was even thinking about that origins of that recurring stuff way back then. Right. I was like, well, they're not going to sell like a, the average person is going to buy a house and sell it. And then maybe seven years later, I think on average, they will buy another house. That's a long time to wait. Whereas builders are going to build hundreds of houses at a time, and then they're going to do another development because that's how they make their money. So I started doing representing those people to sell houses. And then I asked them, how were they going about creating their business? Tell me a little bit about your business. And they said, well, we raise money from other people. We use these things called syndications and, um, we get key man insurance. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, insurance. That sounds like a commission. Tell me about that. Well, we have to insure ourselves. So if something happens to us, we get hit by a bus, the investors have some cash that takes care of them. And I said, okay, let me, let me sell the houses, but also let me sell you key man insurance. And, um, so when I was 19, I got my insurance license. Then when I was a 20, I got my securities license because you needed a securities license to sell limited partnership interests to investors. And so I started selling those as well and helping the real estate developers fund their businesses. And, um, so that was kind of my my foray into that. Then I got my I did that while I was in school, um, in uh, high school and college. I got my degree in accounting, and then went on to law school. Um, I while I was in law school, I took my securities uh, knowledge and my knowledge from all these things with real estate and started applying it to companies. My securities license was held with a company in New York, and I got introduced to Prudential Securities uh, up on Water Street, which is right next to Wall Street. And um, started doing leverage buyouts of companies with with Prudential uh, through the throughout the 80s and 90s, and just kind of that 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 all led me into buying and selling companies uh, is actually more fun and more profitable, uh, and to me easier than buying and selling real estate. Which when once you do your first nothing down real estate deal and somebody actually signs title over to you to a property and you have given them no nothing for that, it's pretty insane that feeling when you do the same thing with a company, it's the same feeling. And, uh, and I just got, got hooked on that. I, I absolutely love that. That is incredible. Sorry, that, that just blew my mind. And also one thing I see that from my perspective is someone that's just an, Adil, did I lose you? No, hold on. Uh, crap. Sorry. I think my microphone's playing up. Can you hear me now? I can now. Yes. Oh, excellent. Sorry about that. 
Um, for some reason, Skype does this weird thing where sometimes it mutes you randomly, and you're like, oh, damn. oh nice. Uh, it just it's done that only because um, I'm using a Blue Yeti and I decide to hit the mute button for one moment to like push my cat off of something. Um, <laughs> like, don't hit that. That this no crazy. No worries. But um, what I was going to say was one thing that really like fascinates the hell out of me with you is, um, I mean, it's in the utmost respect, like how me by fascinates the hell out of me is that out of underlying everything, you just think and do. And that's crazy because like you build on these experiences one after the other and just keep going. And of course, there are times that obviously uh, you may, I, I can say obviously, but it's you, you might be the exception to this rule where you've had your ass handed to you. Um <laughs> and if, oh, if, yeah. you, if you had your ass handed to you, my only question, like my questions would be towards what the hell did you do to get back up? Because uh, I, for me personally, my own self, I'll just give you an idea. 2018 was like the worst year I've ever had in business. Everything failed. Like everything I touched turned to ash. 2019, mm-hmm. the exact opposite. Everything I'm touching is turning into gold. Nice. It, it, it's the weirdest transition. So I haven't been able to mentally codify what I did. But I wanted to ask you, as someone that has vast more experience than I do, um, how did you pull yourself out of those situations where you got your ass handed to you? Well, the, the, there's a few things about my personality. One is I get mad that I had my ass handed to me. So I'm pissed at myself for having experienced that. So that motivates me. I, I, I don't get like maybe I'm I'm a little down because of what happened but i'm also mad and my madness generally out outweighs my downness so i'm like you know okay you think so okay all right maybe maybe not be stupid next time maybe get this going and uh i kick my own ass into gear and and double down and i'm just incredibly stubborn and determined so i'm going to get myself out of the thing that i got myself into and, uh, and I'm not going to cry about it and whine about it. Um, I'm going to actually be a big boy and, you know, and make things happen. You just remind me of a scene from the other guys. Uh-huh. Have you ever seen the other guys? It's a uh, Mark Wahlberg, yes. Will Family. It's, it's like, all, I gonna... can, all I can tell you is don't go chasing waterfalls. <laughs> that, that is a reference to you that, that hopefully you will understand. <laughs> it's okay. But if I keep going, you know, if we go and we've got to creep, creep, <laughs> that's how it right. is. Right. Is that TLC? Is that are you talking about TLC, sir? Just you keep doing it, man. What the hell? I was like, I'm a what was that? I'm a peacock. Let me fly. Right, right. Uh, I think I'm, you know what? Tonight, after I finish all my calls, I think I'm just going to put that on and watch it. It's been I so like long. But the so to summer to summarize in terms of the other guys, I just uh, uh, I, I don't I don't allow no scrubs. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And you put your big boy pants on. Is that what you do? Yes. You put your big boy pants on. I do absolutely. Uh, <laughs> that is brilliant because I actually I forgot how great of a movie that was until you said Big Boy Pants. I was like, yeah, it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, man. So like from that perspective, and I'm glad that you it actually gives me hope because um, for a really long time, I got told I wasn't allowed to be mad about my oh, shoot. I think we lost him. Give me a moment. I lost Roland for just, I think, a second and he's back. Yeah, it's all good. But what I was going to say was um, Goodness. Yeah, the thing is, for a very long time, I got told that I wasn't supposed to be angry about my losses or, you know, hey, just you'll feel better and everything will work out. I'm like, no, dude, like every time I've done good with anything, it's been, it's been because primarily because I've been pissed off. Right. Like, anytime I've written like a really great piece of copy, it's because and I had to write this into my contract uh, whenever I work with clients. There is a clause that says that I will insult you mercilessly while we work together, but it's not set out of <laughs> hatred. It's set out of love. And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, I will cuss you under the sun. I'm British. We like to swear a lot. 
We use words that Americans cringe at and we love using them. Um, so I'm going to call you one of those multiple times, but realize it's said from love. And one of my clients got really mad at me because I couldn't explain it to them. So I said, okay, I'll give you a call in two weeks and you can just sit there silently while I'm writing and listen into what I'm saying. Right. I think while I was writing, I, I kept cussing him out, going, I can't believe these stupid assholes. But I, I, I used much worse words than asshole. But I was just like, going, I can't believe just making me do all this. And like, it's a really dumb idea to change it this way. And I just wrote the entire ad copy, like the entire copy with this new direction. I thought halfway through, I was like, oh, wait, this is a brilliant idea. I've got a great hook. Deleted everything, started again, wrote in anger, sent it to him. And he was like, I, I, I was on the phone. Why are you so mean? I was like, honestly, it has nothing to do with you. It's just the way that I write. And, That's uh, funny. He, he mailed it out. He made like half a million dollars in two weeks. I was like, I yeah, fair enough. I cussed you out, but you made half a million. Enjoy. So like, a a fun thing. Um, <laughs> do you know you know who Gary Halbert was? Of course. Okay, so Gary Halbert. Um, I'm, I was talking with Gary, and uh, he explained to me the copywriter's perspective. And he said, "You have to understand that as a copywriter." He said, "I go down." into the worst, most base, bottom-dwelling, sludge, slime-filled, putrid-smelling place in my mind. And then underneath of that, where that gets really nasty, that is the place that I have my head when I'm writing my copy. It is the most uh, dank and desperate, dark, depressing, evil, horrible place but within that, I find my creativity, and that's where I come up with my stuff. And so when you talk to me and I'm in that place, it's going to be a com- completely different Gary Halbert than you talk to when we're just hanging out talking. I thought that was really an interesting perspective on where you have to go to get that, that, the golden nuggets of copy. I'm glad that you said that because I'm so swiping that and putting it as my Facebook status for the next two weeks. Just every day, <laughs> just update it with the same thing. Like, why? I was like, my clients will understand. <laughs> Well, maybe they won't, and now they will. That's funny. Oh, that's brilliant. So, okay. So, my question for you, realistically, is like, so, as how do you how do you manage your time, like between running so many different companies and being in so many different areas, and obviously, I assume you do consulting as well for other businesses where they hire you to come. I don't. Just, you don't. Consult? I do not. I'm, I'm, I don't consult. Like yeah, I don't consult because I don't believe that it is the best use of my time. So. I will help people. So if somebody calls me and says, it's kind of, kind of weird, I guess. But if I, if I am selling my time, then I will always limit my income by the number of hours that I have to sell for whatever price, no matter how high, right? I, I don't ever want to do that. So I decided a long time ago that I wanted to be helpful to people, uh, but I don't want to be constrained by the help as a way to make money or as an obligation to them. So anybody who I'm helping for free will not feel like they have the ability to command my time. So I don't ever sell my time ever, 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 ever. What I do is I will talk with people about their businesses. And to me, that is lead gen for the few once in a lifetime deals, which by the way, I, my philosophy is that the once in a lifetime deal comes along three or four times a year. If I have sold my time to other people as a consultant, then I will not have the bandwidth to take those deals that come and take everything else and say, Hey, I'm sorry, I can't help you with that anymore because I'm going to be immersed in this thing for the next six months. And I have the bandwidth to take advantage of those opportunities. So the only thing that I ever do is I work on companies that I have an ownership interest in. Cause again, I don't care about income. I care about wealth. 
And what I, what I want to create is a lot of wealth assets that can be sold for multiples of the years of income that I would otherwise earn. And I never put myself on the organizational chart of any company that I get in. So I'm never an operator who also ends up trading dollars for hours effectively. Even if you're an operator in a company that is a wealth asset, you're constrained by the ability for you to be an operator in that one company. Because if you focus on lots of companies, you'll ultimately only be, you know, chasing three rabbits and, and catching none. So my philosophy is that I want to be a, an advocate and, uh, and someone who can collaborate with people who freely gives generously of their time to help others with no expectation of anything in return. And that a few times a year, an opportunity will come that I can become an investor in, and that could be an investor for money or time or both. And then I'll be able to go in and as a, as a, you know, an advisor, I'll be able to go in and help bring change about that will increase the value of those companies dramatically, which ultimately will sell in three to five years for many years worth of the income I would have otherwise been able to get. Okay. So that's really interesting from a perspective of like how I'm doing things, because now it's again, like everything that you said on this so far in the time that we've spoken is making me really have dynamic shifts in my mind about how I'm putting my time together. Because yeah, it's go ahead. Oh, you're saying, no, you were saying no, go ahead. I was oh, saying, go ahead. I was going to say it's, it's fascinating to me because again, like there is as much as I really didn't like used to believing this, but there is a, an actual mental capacity that you can actually work in um, of how much time you can actually put towards a project and how well you'll execute. And specifically, it's also a mental capacity of how much money you can earn and how much you want to do it with. So, for instance, if you've got a cap of, I can only make $100,000 in a year, well, that's going to be a cap that unfortunately doesn't get moved. And you're going to chase, as you said, three rabbits and catch none. They can be all great deals, but you'll just never catch any of them because you'll be too busy trying to like find a way to sabotage it. So... I know that's not exactly the direct line, but my brain went to, huh, you are actually doing all of this because you're chasing three separate rabbits and you're going to end up catching none. So freaking focus, which is a great idea. Um, and that leads me to this question. If it's not too, if it's not too much to ask for, um, what advice would you give people, not just me, because there are a lot of people that actually do have this. What advice would you give people to actually increase their comfortability with money? Because that's a big thing that people don't have anymore. They don't, they don't feel comfortable around it. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't know the answer to it cause I've never been uncomfortable with money. I, 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 I have forced myself to be comfortable and actually seek out and enjoy change, which is the thing that most people fear. So I, my belief is that of all the businesses that I have now, I've got 32 different businesses right now that, that I am involved in as an owner. And, um, and I have zero consulting clients, right? Because again, it's a value built, never trade dollars for hours. And I learned that when I was, when I was practicing law, cause I was like, okay, you know, if I can charge $500 an hour, I can work 2000 hours a year, then I can make a million dollars a year. And that's my cap for personal. But if I have other people that are under me who are, you know, who are maybe not quite as, um, experienced as I am, maybe they'll all generate a half million a year. But if I've got 20 of them, then I can make $10 million a year. Right. So it's just kind of doing that math. 
Um, the, the money thing I, I truly can't speak to because I wouldn't be able to do it competently because I've never had the experience of being uncomfortable with it. I have always sought more of it because I view money as uh, a vehicle for freedom and I value freedom above all else, which also s- explains why the dollars for hours thing doesn't work for me and why I don't want to ever sell my time. And, um, and maybe that helps a little bit. That does. That actually does because that's a perspective shift again. Like, and you are really good at causing those. That's a good thing. Yeah, I think. Have you actually written a book yet? I'm in the middle of writing one right now. I, uh, it's. Uh, I had the opportunity to connect with Tucker Max, who is a super cool guy. He wrote uh, one of one of only three people I think who've had three books at the same time on the New York Times bestseller list, and. He ended up starting a company called, it used to be called Book in the Box. They recently rebranded to Scribe and uh, they help people write books. And now they've helped over a thousand people write books and, uh, and they do a really great job of it. And uh, I'm an advisor to that company now. And, um, and so Tucker is helping me write a book that kind of shares all of my perspectives and philosophies. So that should be done and coming out within the next, it takes about 12 months from where I am right now for, before it's out and about, but it is in process. Well, when that book comes out, you're more than welcome to come back onto this show and promote the hell out of it because I will be promoting the hell out of it regardless because it's a great, it's going to be a great book. Awesome. It's, Thank you, know, you. Just you, dude. You're amazing. So something that um kind of like, okay, because that whole perspective there, and that's actually a good idea because it is a changing perspective of how like, you can actually leverage your time even better to create more income and how you can actually leverage the whole, I don't think I'm worthy. It's like, well, what if I helped all these other people instead and take a percentage? Yeah, so I think the, the the worthy thing to me is 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 kind of silly because you you are or you're not. You know, you don't determine whether you're worthy. The marketplace does. So if you and first you off, you have to separate the I am worthy versus the the value that I deliver is worthy. Because if you don't feel you're worthy, then you should go to counseling and get help to understand that you are actually worth something as a human being, regardless and, and separate from whatever productivity you have, right? Then you get to, I have my, my services or product, the value that I bring to any transaction or relationship in a business context is worthy. And that's valued by the marketplace, right? A, a, what a willing buyer will pay a willing seller absent any external constraints is actually value. And so that gets determined every day by, you know, if, if, if you're worthy, you don't get to decide. So stop thinking about it. It's not up to you whether you're worthy or not. In the business marketplace, it's up to the marketplace. So if your customers are willing to pay, then you are by definition worthy. I love that. And I'm actually going to send that to the three people that I know have asked me about this this week and be like, just listen to this. It doesn't come out for a couple of weeks, but listen to this. Specifically this one point. Um, I'm glad that you actually did say that because, again, shifts. Um, so with that being said, I'm going to drill down a little bit more and uh, try and I hate using the time pick your brain because that's not what I want to do is I want to find out what you would do in this situation. Um, so with businesses that are starting out today, like if the advice you can give them would be something along the lines, obviously, actually, no, we've already covered that. That was just another way of asking the same dumb question. Let's change that up a little bit. So with how you actually manage your time, which you actually can, can I, can I talk to, can I speak for a second to that? Cause oh, I don't know if you're going to ask this or not, but. But I, I think it's a good clarifying point on what we talked about is if if you are talking about starting a business or if you have started a business, then I would give myself the big leg up of thinking about does this business scale 
without my time? In other words, does this business scale beyond my time? Because if, if you are a copywriter, to me, if you're a copywriter and you're selling copywriting services, you're missing a tremendous opportunity and you're cheating yourself out of the ability to, to create significantly greater wealth than any other copywriter I know. And I know most of the greatest copywriters around right now, right? So um, they are not truly wealthy, not meaning any disrespect to them because they're all brilliant, but they're brilliant at copywriting, not at business. So if you have a valuable skill, you can sell the skill or you can use the skill to get yourself into situations that will be even more valuable. So my question to you is, would you rather write an ad for Uber or would you rather write ads for Uber in exchange for equity in Uber? Which would you rather have? You would rather have the interest because then you've, you've transformed this service that can only, that can only ever uh, maximize itself by the number of hours you have in time to be able to create the things you create. If you're selling only those creations, like I'm, I create 12 amazing sales letters a year or 24 or whatever, you're, you're still limited. And I sell them for, for 50 grand a piece plus, you know, 3% of what they bring in. You, you're still limited by the performance of your hours to create those assets. Whereas if those assets get you equity in something else, then you're not limited by that. You're effectively off the, the performance chart or off the org chart because you got, you got ownership in something that, that can turn into more. And I'm not saying that you dis, disregard income along the way, because obviously you have to eat and, and make a living. But I know that, that if I took Dan Kennedy and Clayton Makepeace and Gary Halbert and all those guys um, the money that they've been able to make and the wealth that they've been able to create could be multiplied so many times if they actually got equity, not equity in terms of like Kennedy and a lot of those guys will, they will say, I charge, you know, a hundred grand to write a letter plus 10% of whatever it brings in. That's still limited because that's going to play out because there's going to be ad fatigue and offer fatigue and all those things. So getting an actual ownership interest in something for the services that you create as a partner that brings that to the deal. If I'm, if I'm looking at that, I'd say when I, you know, for a new business or, or a, a startup business, I'd say, look, I'm really good at marketing. I'm really good at copywriting. So I'm going to provide that. And you're really good at operations and you're really good at product creation and you're really good at finance. So there's four of us and we're going to go in and we're all going to have 25%. And now you've got all of their services too. And then as that business grows and adds additional people, you're still going to be an owner and you're not going to be constrained by the number of pieces of copy that you can create. So that's the first thing I would say is I would, I would always want, as I go into any business deal to look and say, how does this business live beyond my hourly output? Then the second thing I would do is I'd say, I have the option of being in one of three kinds of businesses. Businesses are valued in three different ways. They're either valued if they're very small with no standard operating procedures, not really a deep bench of management or employees or offers, and they're under, say, a million or, or two in business uh, sales. Then they're going to be valued typically on a thing called SDC or seller distributable cash or seller distributable earnings, which means that it's o you're only ever going to get when you sell it basically what you took out in the past 12 months. The second type of business, and so let's say that a business is making $5 million in revenue, a million dollars in profit, but you have to invest that profit back so you only really get to take out 400000 
that business is going to sell for 400000 The next business is a little bit deeper, has uh, a few more employees, has some standard operating procedures and stuff, and sells things one at a time. So like I was talking about courses and stuff like that. That business does $5 million. It has $4 million expenses. It makes a million in profit. So it's a little bit past the seller distributable cash model, but it's going to sell for a multiple of EBITDA, earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization, which is basically profits. So that means, let's say, that the multiple is five. So it's going to get five times its profit of $1 million. It's going to sell for $5 million. Third business has monthly recurring revenue on a subscription basis with low churn and good growth. It does $5 million, has a million dollars in profits, but it's going to sell at a multiple of five times revenue. So it's going to sell for $25 million. So in those three exact same kinds of businesses with the exact same numbers, one business is going to be valued at $25 million, one business is going to be valued at $5 million, one business is going to be valued at $400,000. You get to decide as you're going into the business and as you're managing your business and deciding what you're going to focus on, which kind of valuation you're going to get. So I'm always leaning towards monthly recurring revenue and something that exceeds my hourly output in terms of value anytime I'm looking at a startup or a new business. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense. And oh my, could you stop melting my brain? <laughs> Seriously. So I don't know what question you were going to ask, but if, hopefully that helps a little bit because it ties both, both of those things together. That was what I was going to ask. Dear Lord, now we're going to add psychic to your resume? <laughs> See, Josh I, I told me. Psychic or psychotic? I'm not sure. <laughs> bit of both. A psychotic psychic. Actually, that'd be a great character for my crime novel. Let's put that. Let's put that in there. His name's Roland. It's like, damn it! I like it. Uh, oh no, because I spoke to Joss. Because Joss was actually, um, it's kind of weird how we got to actually me and you having you on this, uh, having this call. Because Joss, uh, yeah, said he, he interviewed you. I was like, oh no way! I really love to interview um, Roland. He was like, yeah, be prepared. He's gonna melt your brain. I was like, <laughs> I've heard that before, but no, I'm I'm sure I can keep up. And he was like, no, no, he really will. I was like, okay, fine. Rolling will melt my brain. Not really fully believing him. That was a rookie mistake. <clears throat> I'm going to go back and well, listen to the show a couple of times. As um, long as it helps, I'm happy. Oh, it massively does. And again, that brings me to one of my favorite parts of the show because, again, uh, I, I know I don't want to keep you too long, but like one of the things I did want to ask you specifically, and it's one of my favorite questions really for the show, is well, what would be... <clears throat> Actually, let's change the question slightly. So the question is, if you could recommend uh, five books, but for you it's 10. So if you could recommend 10 books that people read, and there is a caveat here. The caveat is <clears throat> seven of those books are nonfiction, and three of, the, three of those books can either be, <clears throat> excuse me for a second, three of those books can either be fictional or they can be movies. What would you recommend? And by the way, the Marvel Cinematic Universe can be classed as one movie set. Technically, <laughs> if you wanted to, if you haven't seen Endgame, and I don't know, are you an Endgame fan or are you a Marvel? Fan I'm actually going to see Endgame today at uh, uh, in, in a few hours. I've got uh, I'm interviewing somebody for my podcast after this, and then my family and I are going to see Endgame. Excellent. I will give you zero spoilers. I will just I'll tell you something after the show that is nothing to do with spoilers, but it will it will help. It will definitely. I like help. it. Um, so okay. So what would be the ten the seven nonfiction books and three possible fictional books slash movies that you would recommend everyone go see? 
So I think um, I, I'll start with with a movie that that I found to be uh, really mind opening and led me to meet a lot of really cool people. It was called What the Bleep uh, Do We Know? And oh, it, really movie. Yeah, fan, fantastic. So to me, for kind of expanding your your insights and things like that, um, and then uh, book wise on the fiction front, uh, definitely The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. I think is is a ridiculously great book. And then, um, a version of that, that, and this is all off the top of my head. I think I could do better if I had time to think, but an, another similar to the alchemist book, um, uh, uh, by a good friend of mine, Kamal Ravikant is called rebirth, which is, uh, his journey on the Camino de Compostela. And I, uh, but it's a fictionalized version, kind of like Carlos Castaneda, but not quite as psychedelic. Okay, so see, before we continue just down that pathway for a second, I was going to say, I actually like his other books. I haven't read that one yet. I've read, I've read the... Um, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends Upon It. That's the first one. The second one, I think, is not called Tribes. So I've drawn blank on what the second name of this book is. The one where he was up in the monastery the entire time. Yeah, 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 exactly. You yes. know which one was on about. Yeah, so I've, I've got to now get his next book. He's someone that I really want to get on the show as well. Oh, well, I will happily connect you. He's one of my oh, closest friends. I would love that. Yeah, so that would and be And his amazing. brother has, his brother Naval, who started Angel List, has a, has a really great podcast as well now. Oh, wow. We'll have to ask you to get both, if we can introduce that and get both of them on, because that would be amazing as well. Please yeah. con- continue down this amazing list. And by the way, I'm glad that you're naming books that um, I've either read or I read yearly. And I'm like, yes, I do this. This is putting me on the right path. <laughs> Two books that, um, that I read recently, which I think are really great illustrations of different approaches and outcomes and the result of having different types of advisors that I think are really good are Phil Knight's shoe dog. And, um, uh, I think it's Chip Wilson, uh, who wrote little black stretchy pants who founded Lululemon. So you get to see $2 billion companies that were built from scratch by two similar, but different entrepreneurs in Nike and Lululemon. And, uh, particularly interesting is how they both struggled all the way up into being household names as brands. It was always uh, success and failure were always so close, and they were always teetering on the edge of uh, of running out of money. And then when they when each of them went public and exited, uh, they did it in a way that created for one a uh, a continuing legacy, and for the other. Uh, something that ultimately resulted in him being expelled from the company. And so those are, those are two great books to read together because of that comparison. So that's, that's five. Uh, there's, a, uh, there's a book that was on Richard Branson. I had the opportunity to, in, to interview Richard recently. And um, there was a book that was on his 65 books to read in a lifetime called, I think it's called Black Box failure. I think that's the name of it. I'd have to check, but, um, it's absolutely brilliant in its ability to show you, um, in multiple situations, how to analyze failure and use failure to, uh, to really ultimately ensure your success. So that's one that I would really, really highly recommend. And then, um, for persuasion and advanced persuasion strategies, and I, I apologize, I don't remember the author, but he's the guy that did the Dilbert comedy series. There's a book called win bigly. 
that's fantastic. I remember which book you're on about. Yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll find all these books anyway and just put them in the link description so you guys have them. Yeah, that one for for advanced persuasion skills analysis, I think, is good. And then um, uh, my buddy Chris Voss wrote a really great book, probably the best negotiating book that I have read, called Never, Never Split the Difference. Never Split the Difference. That is a great book. Um, yep. Just amazing. I think the book that you're thinking of, isn't is it Black Box Thinking? Black Box Thinking, that's it, yeah, yes. Yeah, by Matthew Said. Yeah, fantastic yeah. book. Yeah, I just quickly like pull, pulled up my iPad and was like, quickly find this book and see if we can actually see if it's the right one. Yeah, and then from a business planning and legacy standpoint, um, the In-N-Out Burger story, and again, there's a couple of those, and I'd, I'd have to pull it, but but both Black Box Thinking and the In-N-Out uh, book I pulled off of Richard Branson's list. Then um, from a understanding math and how things affect us, there's a book on uh, Bill Gates's list of books that you have to read that is, I think it's just called Numbers, but it's amazing because it really delves down into the differences in how how math works and how number thinking works and how numbers relate to each other is pretty, pretty fantastic. Uh, is that eight, I think? That is eight. So you then got two before, movies. You got two movies left, or two <laughs> or, or two fiction books. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna. Uh, well, I did my my fictions first, right? So um, yep. the uh, oh, the other one is, is the Four Agreements by uh, Miguel Ruiz. I think is probably one of the best books at how to deal with people. And if you can keep each of the four agreements in mind as you're dealing with people, it will make your life better and much happier, much much happier. And then the last one, what would the last one be? Oh gosh. Um, I was trying to think of movies that were, that were like expanding uh, for me. There's a movie that makes me mad all the time, uh, that my wife tells everybody makes me mad called the social network because it's oh, the story okay. of Facebook and I read it. And every time, I mean, I watch it <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and every time that I watch it, I get pissed off because I didn't invent Facebook. So, uh, <laughs> I'm just mad at myself for not doing that. So if you want to, it's because uh, I'm always, I'm always made aware that I'm not thinking big enough. And every time I think I'm, you know, I, I'm doing great. I'm, I, I like to put myself in situations where I look at other people who are younger and far more successful and, and, um, uh, and say, you know, why the hell am I not that person? You, you freaking idiot. Why are you not that person? Why the hell did you not invent Facebook? Yeah, I could definitely see that. It's it comes down to that competitive spirit of what you have. Yeah, it does more, more than anything, and that's actually quite healthy. I mean, some people will listen to this and be like, "Oh, he needs to practice more self love." No, that's just what gets him up in the morning. <laughs> well, I do love myself. I mean, I, I yeah. there, make no yeah. mat that you can love yourself and give yourself a hard time and say, you know, "Hey, buddy, you better you better get moving." At the same time, so I, I do it in a loving way. Oh, for sure, I agree with you on that one entirely. It's the way that um from someone that used to that never used to love themselves all that much to someone that basically does do that quite practices that whole thought process constantly it's like hey i can call myself an idiot and doesn't mean that i'm not being loving to myself it just means that hey you actually did a bonehead thing go ahead and fix this correct yeah it, it has nothing to do with me loving myself it has 100 percent to do with me taking ownership of what i did yes um, exactly which is quite powerful wow so we have covered a hell of a lot here so guys my only advice to you is Download this episode and listen to it like six times and take notes every time and listen to it every three months because I guarantee you will find something new. And the reason I say that is because during the show, 
I have managed to write, let me count, one, two, three, four, five pages of notes while also interviewing Roland. And that's while I'm doing the thing. So I'm going to come back to this and probably listen to it like three more times and be like, okay, what did he say here that I've only like shorthanded as like a timestamp? And just remember, as you're doing all this, don't go chasing waterfalls. Exactly. Don't ever go chasing waterfalls. Because <laughs> Roland don't want no scrubs. Exactly. <laughs> so many fun jokes. But guys, definitely go check out, uh, if you have not already heard or seen Digital Marketer, go to digitalmarketer.com. Also check out Traffic and Conversions Summit.com uh, when they have this. When's the next summit, by the way? Because I know this doesn't come out for about 90 days. Um, when's the next one for the rest of the year? Sure. So we um, we exited that. Uh, we sold 80% of that to to Clarion. And so now we have the exciting adventure of starting lots of new ones. So we have the one in San Diego, which is the next one will be in March 31st, April 1st and 2nd of 2020. Uh, we have a digital marketing expo coming up for, excuse me, digital agency expo coming up for agencies in New York in September of this year. And then we will have traffic conversion summits that are that begin appearing all over the world in 2020. So I think we'll have New York and uh, Singapore and Amsterdam. And I know Hong Kong and Russia are on the table, too. So if you just go to traffic and conversion you know, all of them will show up there. Excellent. I was hoping you were going to say London, but, you know, we looked at London and um, Amsterdam seems to be the, the better continental choice. It, it, it's one of the cool things about dealing with with these giant companies is the data that they have is so helpful. And uh, London is actually where we were looking at holding it. And they said, no, we're a continental strategy. Here's the deal. And they have all the numbers. And they're like, if we hold it here, we'll get this many people from London, but also the whole rest of Europe will come, whereas the whole rest of Europe won't come to London because of blah, 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 blah. So it's kind of yeah. kind of interesting. Oh, massively. That is a, that is a huge uh, focal point as well. That actually really makes a lot more sense and means that now I have to hold my event in Amsterdam. <laughs> which is a great city i love amsterdam oh, same i've not been in a very long time i think i last went there when i was 16 but guys go check out all those places as well as roland's podcast which is business lunch um yes. yep check it out he is amazing at that listen down to a lot of like the inf information that he gives you it's incredible just seriously he melted my brain three times here that should tell you everything very hard to do and it's quite interesting as well at the same time but roland it's been an absolute pleasure having you on my friend i hope i can get you back on in the future to continually melt minds uh and definitely when your book comes out let me know because we can promote the hell out of that on the show as well because yeah, well i love you and the way absolutely you and my my pleasure to to help in any way i can and then i'll connect you also with uh with those folks we mentioned definitely all right guys i'll see you on the next episode and roland thanks again my friend thank you take care